I'm Kevin, I'm usually in the band, so there's an old joke that I love. I started off on the drums. There's an old joke that says the drummer wants to be the lead singer, and the worship leader wants to be the senior pastor. So, so here we are. I'm not the senior pastor, so don't, don't worry. Uh, it's good to be with you. I just want to add my Mother's Day greeting to Michelle's and say welcome. And this is a special day and a confusing day often, but we're glad to be celebrating with you. Uh, today, we are in Eastertide, which is the liturgical season that follows Easter, of course, for a few weeks. And we're in a series where we're talking about the family of God. How do we act as the family of God? How should we treat each other? Um, what are the things that might help us to live well together as we move through the world? And today I want to talk about encouraging words. And some of you might be groaning a little bit inside when you hear that. Really encouraging words. Another sermon about being nice to people. Give me a break. You know, here in Silicon Valley, we don't necessarily value kindness do we all the time? We value results. We want measurables and deliverables, and we value big data, not necessarily big kindness. And kindness can seem almost like wasted energy, can it, as we climb the ladder and go about our lives. And even as Christians, we don't really want to be told, hey, say something nice to someone. It's the right thing to do. It sounds too easy, too quick. It sounds simple-minded almost. It sounds like Ned Flanders, like our favorite uh, Christian character from The Simpsons. Hey, howdy doodly. You know, it sounds too simplistic. But the truth is, encouraging words hold tremendous power to sustain us and to change us. And I'd like to get into this by examining a section of scripture that we usually skip. Isn't that great, great when a preacher says, hey, let's, let's look at a part of the Bible that nobody reads. <laughs> but the truth is, in, in St. Paul's letters, he starts many of them off with a greeting. He, he offers them a wish for good health and so forth. And we, a lot of times we, we skip over that to get to the meat where he's telling people what to do and how to live. But I want to look at this greeting from the book of Romans. So let's start there. Romans 1 verse 7. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So here in this greeting, we see a tender side of Paul, don't we? And it's easy to gloss over this and skip to uh, the other parts of the book, but let's look at this a little bit closer. Let's see how he encourages the, the believers in Rome. He blesses them, grace and peace to you from God the Father. He remembers them in prayer. Constantly, I remember you in my prayers. He can't wait to be with them. He longs to give them strength. He longs to receive strength from them. He's tried to visit, but has been detained. He's probably been imprisoned, is the reason. And finally, he longs to serve with them in the gospel. Now, imagine for a moment that a friend communicated all this to you. 
or even half of this to you, how would it make you feel about yourself? How would it make you feel about them? Encouraging words make us feel seen and known. You know, when I was a child, there was a show uh, on in the mornings called Romper Room. Does anybody remember Romper Room? Oh, yeah. So I can't, I can't tell you what went on in the Romper Room exactly. I don't remember, or on Romper Room, but I do remember the intro. And the intro was Miss Nancy, who was the coolest person on the planet. She would get out her magic mirror and look right into the camera and say, I see Daniel and I see Stephen, and if she said your name, if she happened to say your name, it was like, <gasps> so, someone in, in TV land sees me. They, they, they know me. And when I was in kindergarten, one of our kids in the class actually was on the show. He was on Romper We lost our minds. You know, we're used to esteeming children in our society and seeing them, or at least we, we ought to be. But we're not as good at doing that with adults, are we? You know, in the world of business and in the adult world in general, it's, it's easy to reduce people down to obstructions, right? This person's in my way, this person is a speed bump upon my road to success and happiness and so on. But to see and know people in this way is to exhibit their Imago Dei, and the Imago Dei translated simply the image of God, or the likeness of, of God. And that comes from the imprint that we see via the story in Genesis, the Imago Dei, that place where the good things dwell in us, the pure things, the essence, the very spirit of God. Well, here's the crunchy thing. The Imago Dei isn't just reserved for Christians, or good people, or Republicans, or Democrats, or rich people, or smart people. The Imago Dei rests in and upon everyone. That annoying person you work with, they have the Imago Dei. That family member who gets under your skin, they have it. The athlete on the opposing team who keeps chopping up your home team, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, they have it. <laughs> when we reach down within ourselves and identify the language that might bring the Imago Dei forth in another person, it changes everything, and it changes us as well. And when we do the opposite of that, the opposite things happen. The Imago Dei is crushed and minimized. I'd like to show a clip from The Office, and it probably needs no introduction, but Michael Scott, the main character of the show, the branch manager of Dunder Mifflin Paper Company in Scranton, is not just the worst boss in the world. He's one of the most tone-deaf, needy, self-involved characters we've ever seen on television. And in this scene, he invites his colleagues to roast him. And by that, I mean to comedically make fun of him. Let's watch what happens in the office. Welcome, 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 welcome. You are all jerks. <laughs> Just kidding. Not yet, anyway. Welcome to the roast of Mr. Michael Scott. If you're here for the Grabowski wedding, it is the second door on the left. So we all know how these work. Needs to get crazy. Take your best shot. I am going to sit right over a chair. And uh, whoever wants to come up and roast me, you may. Okay. 
Lower the mic for the midget. If you ever wondered whether you were Michael Scott, here's a quiz to help. If you ever put sunblock on a window, you might be Michael Scott. <laughs> I normally don't enjoy making people laugh. If you ever called the fire department because your head was stuck in your chair, you might be Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. <laughs> where you work and then tell you how to make burgers. <laughs> I have made a list of people that I would make out with before I would make out with Michael Scott. A turtle, a fridge, yeah. anybody from the warehouse, oh, yeah. a wood chipper, Kevin, a candle, and Lord Voldemort. Anyway, happy birthday, Michael. Yeah, you'd be so lucky. Good one. Michael, <sighs> you ran over me with your car. Michael, you are the reason I drink. You are the reason I live to forget. Me das una úlcera cada vez que me despierto y tengo que venir para trabajar para ti, para ti. No. No, friends only. Friends only. Several times a day, Michael says words that are way beyond my vocabulary. I know where this is going. Do you? No. Okay. <laughs> Remember Spider Face? No. Okay, because the quote was, cut off your nose to Spider Face. Spider, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep. How dare you all attack him like this? No, stop it. Dwight, Michael is your superior. No, no, no. Okay, no. you should be bowing Why down in front of him. Hey, way. hey, That's right now. Okay? That is no, the they way don't understand who they have. You're supposed to do You're it. Interrupting idiot. Me. I'm trying idiot. to get your back. I'm idiot. trying to. Are you idiot. calling me an idiot? Don't you ever talk to me that way. You pathetic, short little man. You don't have any friends or any family or any land. Yeah. 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 Well, I just want to take a minute to talk to you all about something very serious. Once every hour, someone is involved in an internet scam. That man is Michael Scott. <laughs> uh, can I make just a little announcement? In a professional roast, usually the roaster will say something nice about the roastee after they're done, something about how much they love them. So just keep that in mind. harsh words do to us. We all know. We've all been on the receiving end. You know, in the clip, if you've watched the show, there's nobody more deserving than harsh words. There's nobody more deserving of harsh words than Michael Scott, but even he eventually feels the burn of his colleagues cutting him down to size, and you see the tears well up in his eyes. Some years ago, I was on a staff, uh, and we had what I'd call a, a joking culture. We like to 
make fun of each other and crack jokes and so forth. And one summer we had summer interns, and one of those interns was entrusted to me. And on his first day, you know, we kind of let him have it. We made fun of him. We were in meetings, uh, cracking jokes and so forth. And it was our way, I think, of just welcoming him into the family, into this weird family that we had. And by the end of the day, he came into my office with tears in his eyes, and he said, I don't think I can work here. You guys are so mean. <laughs> and I thought, my goodness, I am so sorry. And he did stay on that summer, but if I'm honest, there was damage done that day that was not repaired. If you know me, I love a good joke. I love to crack wise. I love a good insult. I love self-deprecation. But there are times when it does go too far. And I think as gospel people making our way through the world, I think we have a mandate to lead the charge for spreading encouraging words throughout the world. And I don't mean that we have to be that wet blanket that can't take a joke or can't be the butt of a joke, but I think in equal measure, we should be building people up and be consistent at it. Amen? You know, Grace mentioned recently, and you've likely seen in the news, that there's an epidemic of loneliness in this country. And even the Surgeon General has affirmed it. It's easy to think of loneliness as that solitary person in their apartment with no family nearby, no friends, and so forth. Sometimes loneliness is like that. But what we're facing now is perhaps a bit more subtle and a bit more hard to spot. We've emerged from COVID, and just this week the government announced officially that the COVID emergency is over, so congratulations, I guess. <laughs> but we've come through this with a lot of questions, haven't we? We've learned the deep value we place on our friendships and on relationships and on family. But now that everybody is back at it, they're back at work, back at school, back at play, back at life, back at family life, dating, you know, all of that, the hole left by people's unavailability can almost be worse than the lack of their physical presence. We are, as the old jazz song goes, alone together. And when we're in that mode, it's very easy for us to create narratives, isn't it? Narratives about ourselves, about the world we occupy that simply aren't true. I've gotten very good at this in adult life, I'm ashamed to say. That person doesn't notice me. This person doesn't like me. Nobody appreciates what I do. If I were not here, nobody would notice. Encouraging words can be the glue that holds the family of God together. They can be the antidote for the false narratives that we create. Human beings are meaning-making creatures, aren't we? We know this intuitively as we walk the spiritual journey, but even in a secular scientific sense, this is proven. We're always looking for the what and the why behind our experiences. And when we don't have a feedback loop with other people, or even worse, we have a faulty feedback loop, our meaning-making goes wrong. We start creating narratives about who we are, who we are not, and it becomes very easy to live into those narratives. Encouraging words from a sister, from a brother, from a friend, they counteract the false narrative. Let's go back to the office. Here's one more clip. We're fast forwarding 
to where Michael Scott, at long last, is leaving the office. So I mean to tell you, I want to take you out for lunch for your last day. Oh. What do you think? Tomorrow? Lunch? You and me? Okay. You're not leaving tomorrow. You're leaving today, right? Maybe. Wow, so that's it, huh? Just four o'clock and you are gone for good. Why am I so sad? Am I doing the wrong thing? Absolutely not. T-shirt, idea, goodbye stink. Okay, all right. So, James Halpert. You started with this company as a fine young man. You know what I think we should do? I think we should just say the goodbyes for tomorrow at lunch. Oh. Okay. And then tomorrow, I can tell you <clears throat> what a great boss you turned out to be. Best boss I ever had. Oh, shoot. That's my cab. All right. All right. Listen, Michael, I, I really, I did text Pam, but. I know, it's okay. <clears throat> Just give her a hug, all right? I will see you tomorrow at lunch. I am looking forward to lunch. And hearing about what a great boss I am. <laughs> you got it. Notice what encouraging words do. Hearts are filled, real identities shine through, and even, I would argue, the Imago Dei of Michael Scott comes through. The likeness of God is seen in our being when we are encouraged, when we are lifted up. My best friend recently moved to the Central Coast. Who could blame him, right? But, you know, it's been difficult when a friend uh, that, that's, that, that is that deep uh, moves away. And he told me something a couple of months ago that has really stuck with me. He said very simply, you know, I think about you every day. And I can't tell you what that meant to me and what it often means to me day to day when I'm just struggling or just, you know, doing that thing where you wonder, you know, what does it all mean? There's a brother out there that is thinking of me and has me in mind. You know, one thing I've been wrestling with and thinking about in terms of all this is, did Jesus do this? Was Jesus what we would call an encourager? Well, I think he was. You know, on our side of history, it's very easy to view much of what Jesus said as a corrective, you know. And that's a familiar image that we have of Jesus culturally, as that figure who's kind of going tsk, tsk, tsk in the corner, you know. And even when I was a kid growing up in Sunday school in the church, you know, we were told over and over again that, that Jesus is with you wherever you go, and he's also watching everything you do, like the CIA or something. But Jesus was an encourager. Much of what he said was very new and very strange to those who were listening, but it was good news, the kingdom of God that he spoke of, how we ought to act with each other. 
The encouragement of Jesus was often coupled with a corrective, and that's an important element of the family of God that we don't have time to get into today necessarily. But let's look briefly at a moment in the Easter story, and we saw this just a few weeks ago. This is at the scene of the empty tomb in John 20. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, teacher. He only needs to say one word to Mary to let her know, I am here, I am with you, I see you, I see you in your grief, I see you in your pain. Her hope is restored in his presence just by saying her name, Mary. Sometimes encouraging words are like that. It's not so much about the words, it's about the presence. I am with you, I am really with you in empathy, in truth, and in spirit. And Jesus had a habit of doing this very subtly with people. One of my favorite stories in all of scripture is the, uh, the story of the woman caught in adultery. And there's a woman who people are ready to kill her because she's committed adultery. And with a simple sentence, Jesus dissipates the crowd and then looks at her and basically says, where did everybody go? They don't condemn me. And I don't condemn you either. But he also turns her in a different direction. Go now and leave your life of sin. She's encouraged. She's corrected. She has a new perspective. Her omago day is restored. And she goes on her way. Encouraging words let us know we are seen and loved. As we close, we're going to take a moment to reflect. And we want to give you an opportunity to deliver encouraging words to someone. And we're going to do that by taking five or ten minutes to let you write a card to someone. And just very simply offer your words of encouragement. And the cards have been handed out, I think, if, if you need one, uh, head to the back there and there'll be people walking around with the cards. But the physical act of writing is, as we know, becoming a lost art. You know, the mechanics of writing are different than texting and chatting and email and so forth. We have to think about our words and specifically what we want to say. If you're like me, you have to think about how to spell certain words. And that's okay, you can use your phone to spell check. Uh, but the whole process makes us slow down and enter a thoughtful space and really bring our encouragement into focus. Now, a couple of notes. This is not Hemingway time, okay? This is not Toni Morrison time. This is this is not the time to be extremely literate or, or even eloquent. This is time to be simple and, and heartfelt. And you know, I know it's Mother's Day and you've all filled out your cards for your mother, so I know you're not gonna work on that now, but you're certainly welcome to if you need to. Don't overthink this. Speak from the heart, write from the heart. 
And if it helps, keep this quote from 18th century French mystic Madame Guillaume in mind. I love this. God demands nothing extraordinary nor difficult. On the contrary, he is best pleased by a simple and childlike conduct. That which is most sublime and elevated in religion is the easiest to attain. The most necessary sacraments are the least difficult. Bread, wine, prayer, saying I love you. Keep it simple. So to that end, we'll take a few moments, write a card for someone who needs an encouraging word from you. And after season Joey and the band, we'll fill the room with song and you will join in. And if you feel stuck, uh, St. Paul's encouragements will be on the screen and some other tips there. And as we write, be conscious of how it makes you feel. How does it change your heart? How does it bring forth your Imago Dei? How does it change you? We'll write and reflect, and we'll bring it all before the Lord in worship. As we do, let me pray for us. God, we know that this morning you speak each of our names to us. You see us. You call forth our God-given identity. And God, we embrace that, and we say thank you. And as we do that, may we help others to do that as well. May our words, may our actions, may our presence call forth your image in those we love and the people that we encounter in the world. We thank you again for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.